Naomi, with eyes darkened and bent low, had one bag for her belongings as she walked the windy, desolate road out of Moab to Israel. A crying Orpah was seen miserably walking away, but at Naomi's feet was Ruth, who wouldn't let go of her. Naomi started to shout at the sobbing Ruth, who pulled upon her dress and held her feet. Naomi, who was not able to get away from Ruth, raised her voice at her, telling her to get go back with her sister-in-law, back to her people, back to her gods. Ruth refused to look back as she cried at Naomi's feet. Go back with her, Naomi would say again and again. Refusing to let go of Naomi, Ruth clung to her as she said to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Naomi stepped backward, tearing loose from Ruth. But Ruth crawled to Naomi, seizing her by her dress, hanging upon her. Naomi frustrated, glaring at her, as Ruth cried out, Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Naomi tried in anger to tear loose from her, but could not get away. Ruth continued, Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 42, Ruth. After Israel cried out to God, and they were delivered through Ehud, the famine that was sweeping Israel came to an end. In fact, we had that analogy before that God was the central government for Israel. He filled in all the details from the political side all the way to the economic perspective. Once Israel cried out, the famine began to clear and the blessings began to flow without interruption once Eglon was assassinated and Israel's enemies were defeated. Now as Eglon was defeated, the center of power and influence and blessings shifted from Moab to Israel, which impacted Naomi, who had moved to Moab 10 years prior to escape the famine. Alright, so let's backtrack a little and talk about Naomi. 10 years back, Naomi and her husband traveled to Moab with their two sons. Was their move to Moab out of God's will and out of his protection? Well, after moving to Moab, Naomi's husband dies, and the two sons marry local non-Israelite women. Next, the two sons, Malon and Kilian, die, and Naomi is left without her husband and her two sons, only her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. At this point, Naomi is a train wreck. I mean, a train wreck. In her eyes, God has abandoned her. Famine and foreigners had nearly destroyed their homeland. They were fighting against poverty and starvation for years. Her husband has died, and now her two sons. I mean, seriously, she is a mess. All she had was her daughters-in-law. In her bitterness, she decides to return home and abandon her daughters-in-law, just as she believed God has abandoned her. Notice this pattern. 
that the lies that people believe translate themselves and hurt others around them. All right, Ruth 1.6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to each other, We will go back with you into your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who can become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has been against me. So Naomi sends away her daughters-in-law, Orpah, whose name means gazelle, and Ruth, whose name means friendship. What happens next is one of the most profound moments in all the Bible, which I barely try to capture at the beginning of the episode. Ruth 1, 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. All right, so let's park the episode here. Seriously, and if I don't cover anything else in this account, this is the most important part. It's Ruth's bold move. Orpah, the gazelle, the catch, the prize, looked great on the outside, but she wasn't in it for the long haul. Ruth, whose name means friendship, was in it for the long haul. She didn't take commitments lightly. She was relational and faithful, and that's what sets her apart. Ruth clung to Naomi. Naomi even commanded her to leave. She refuses. In fact, she even told her to go back to her old gods and way of life. I mean, seriously, Ruth was clinging. When I mean cling, she refused to let go of her. The word implies that she clave to her. Naomi was bitter, but Ruth's faithfulness and need for her was greater. So much so, this is what she said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. And if this wasn't powerful enough, she concludes with these words, may God deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Ruth was seriously not going to allow Naomi's bitterness to destroy what was left of this family. She had come to love Naomi and her God and was not going to allow even death to separate them. Seriously, you couldn't read these words enough. They are ridiculously powerful and spoken by a non-Israelite. Keep this in mind as we cover Ruth. She's not an Israelite. 
And in the New Testament vernacular, she's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. But this only makes her declarations more powerful. Isn't Ruth so fitting of that hidden message of bold, aggressive women in the Bible that understand order as a petition for breakthrough? All these powerful women sure look different, but they almost always do something profound, whether it's in a road leading out of Moab or the court of King Xerxes of Persia. So there's a spiritual concept in this account here. With adversity or conflict comes some of the greatest achievements or breakthroughs because they're just around the corner. You have to break through that veil of offense. Here is Ruth being offended and talked down to by her own mother-in-law. In fact, Naomi is abandoning her and even telling her to leave her and her God, the one and true God. It's a moment where Ruth has to decide to follow God or not to follow God. It's a line in the sand moment. What is in front of her at the moment is great offense. Here through Naomi, she could have been offended and spent the rest of her life not forgiving the one who abandoned her. Or she could ignore Naomi's bitterness, which is controlling her, and persevere despite the way it looks in the natural, that Naomi doesn't love her anymore. Ruth is undeterred. She doesn't take offense and see with her natural eyes. She has eyes to see and ears to hear. In fact, this moment will set the course of her life to come. She chooses to follow God and refuses to allow Naomi to run her off. For her actions, Ruth will be saved and Naomi will be redeemed, and there will be a great physical and spiritual reward that Ruth gets to walk into. Some of the greatest breakthroughs and moments occur when people are challenged the most, when a wall of offense is put up in a person's life. The question is, do we forgive and persist and push over this fragile yet imposing wall or allow it to make us turn away from God? We should all persist like Ruth did. Ruth 1.19 So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Once they arrive in Bethlehem, the story starts to change a pace. Ruth and Naomi are now living together and they are destitute. Naomi's husband owned property, but when they left Israel, the land was forfeited or sold. And at this point, Naomi and Ruth have to resort to a form of social welfare in this age. According to the law, harvesters were required to allow the poor to pick up the leftovers during the harvest, and corners of the field were allowed to be picked by the poor. Ruth resorted to going to a field and picking up leftover grain. She ended up in a field owned by Boaz. Boaz took notice of Ruth, and he said that he would make sure to not allow her to be harmed, and he also blessed her with kindness. This was her response. Ruth 2 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, 
I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, who under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz continued to be kind to her. Ruth 2.14 At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some leftover. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And after gleaning the fields more, Ruth returned to Naomi. Ruth 2.19 Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. All right, so let's talk about kinsmen redeemers or guardian redeemers. Legally, women could not own property through their husbands. So here we are again, like the daughters of Sephalahad. Many scholars agree that Naomi had previously sold her land, and others say that her land had been forfeited. And now that her husbands and sons were dead and they had moved away, they could only reclaim it through marriage. A kinsman redeemer was a fellow family member that could redeem the land and the family line and bring them into an inheritance and official recognition back into Israel. So Boaz was one of the kinsmen redeemers, but there was one that was even closer than Boaz. So he was the the second in line that could redeem their family. All right, so let's note here that Boaz was a very wealthy man. He had workers in his fields, and he was known for notable character, and his mother was Rahab, the same Rahab from the fall of Jericho. For more on Rahab and a bit on Boaz, check out the fall of Jericho episode. Now here the story gets quite adult. It says that Naomi decides it's time for her to help find a home for Ruth. So she gives her detailed instructions on what to do. She tells her to sneak up to him at night when he is sleeping. Here's what happens next. Ruth 3, 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Note here that Boaz is sleeping on his threshing floor. Um, Josephus says that Boaz was actually sleeping at the threshing floor because it was harvest time and he wanted to protect his grain because thief was, you know, fairly rampant previously during the time of the famine. All right, Ruth 3, 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. "'Who are you?' he asked. "'I am your servant Ruth,' she said. "'Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer, or a kinsman redeemer, of our family.'" So what's going on, and why is it so late in the evening? 
And let me try to explain. Ruth is communicating a message. It's not what you think. I mean, it is quite forward, but it's not what you think. There are a few things going on here. It's his bed, which he crawls into. And then she also asks for his covers or garments to be upon her. Specifically, she is pretty much asking him to marry her by being in bed with him. But it is the second piece that ties it all together. She desires his covering. She desires his protection. And she desires him to redeem her family by marrying her. She desires him and even his garments. The symbolic meanings here are almost endless when you look at Ruth, the Gentile bride, and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. But I'm not going to spend too much time here in this episode on the symbolic meanings. But Boaz's response is delight. Now, Boaz is probably about twice Ruth's age, and he's delighted with this proposal. According to Jewish tradition, he's 80 and she is 40. Ruth 3.10 The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, Boaz is quite sharp. He knows next he needs to follow protocol if he's going to marry her. Ruth 3.12 Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. I love the next sentence. So she lay at his feet until morning, but she got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So she lay at his feet, just like she cried at Naomi's feet. She was showing she will be his servant and accept his covering all the days of her life. This scene shows Boaz's character. He could have done a lot of things that evening, but he did not, showing his care and concern for Ruth. He was very concerned about being faithful to God over his desires for this foreign woman in his bed. Here's a question. Was Ruth crazy aggressive in this scene? Yes, I believe so. Naomi was a bit proactive, one would say, in procuring a husband for Ruth and presenting her with the blessing to do this. But Ruth's actions displayed a remarkable character. She did not seduce Boaz or even tease him. It only said she wanted the corner of his garments. It was Apostle Peter whose shadow healed people. And it was Jesus who felt power leave him when a lady touched the hem of his garment. Ruth desired his covering and protection and relationship over other intimate desires. After all, her name meant friendship. The old historians would say that she had a strong moral compass and fortitude which enabled her to do this. The next scenes are interesting because Boaz must follow the protocol of his land. But first, Boaz gives Ruth six measures of barley to return home with. And according to Jewish tradition, this is indicative of six spiritual greats that would come from her future lineage, which included David and later the Messiah. So the scene changes now. It's the next morning when Boaz assembles the elders of Bethlehem at the town gate. Ruth 4.4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. 
Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. And I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his relatives and family and from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Here Boaz legally claims Ruth as his wife and reclaims her family property and merges it with his. Next, the elders bless Boaz. Ruth 4.11 Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephthah and be famous in Bethlehem. Ruth 4.13 So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better than you seven sons, has given him birth. Isn't this cool? Not only does Ruth and Boaz get married and blessings occur, but looking at it from the perspective of an old and bittered Naomi, she is now rejoicing young again in heart and treasured as a grandmother in her land. Ruth 4.16 Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And the greatest blessing of all for Naomi and Ruth Not only did they walk into redemption, but into the line of the greatest of Israel's kings, King David, and later in the line of the greatest kings to ever walk the earth, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ himself. Now think with me here. What if Boaz's mother was still alive? Her name was Rahab. Could you imagine the conversations that she and Ruth had? both Gentile brides grafted into the blessings of God in Israel. All right, or consider this. Unless you are a Jew or a Messianic Jew, you are like Ruth. All of us non-Jews, we are like Ruth. 
We are part of a body of Christ that was grafted into God's order and blessings that were granted to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we are gifted with the law of Moses, which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. For this reason, it is good to learn from Ruth and to look upon Ruth's defining moment and her persistence. It reminds me of one of Jesus' parables, Luke 18.1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Ruth never gave up on her family or Naomi. May we persist, just like Ruth, and never give up believing and pursuing all that God has for those who love him. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we take our history break by covering the reemergence of Egypt as a world power under one of the greatest pharaohs, Ramses II. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.